Well, you know that moment when you're listening to someone and all of a sudden you realize that they're lying to you. Like you know they're lying to you. I mean, you can just, you can totally sense it and they're still in the middle of their lie. I hate that moment. And honestly, the, the only thing I think worse than knowing you're being lied to is not knowing you're being lied to. We hate it. And, and the closer the relationship, the, the deeper the sense of betrayal and, and anger. I mean, it's one thing if your mechanic, right, or a coworker lies to you. We, we don't like that. It's ugh. But when it's a best friend or a spouse or one of your kids, it rips us up. Everybody hates to be lied to. But what if I told you that there's one area in life that we're actually kind of okay with being lied to? And not, just, not just really okay. We actually, we actually sort of enjoy it. What if I told you there's one area in life that we love to be lied to? Come on, Nathan. Nobody loves to be lied to. Well, let me give a silly example here. Has anybody ever had a peppermint JoJo? Anybody even know what a peppermint JoJo is? Eli has. All right. Anybody else? I mean, best cookie ever. At least, I mean, from a box, right? I mean, these things, I mean, I'm not, they changed my life, okay? You haven't lived if you haven't had one. And, and the, the rough part about the peppermint JoJo, well, here, James, Brandy, yeah, yeah. First service saved you a few here. Uh, the, 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 the tough part, about it. Um, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they, only, they only sell these in, uh, I'm sorry, I'm only rewarding the people who sit up front. Sorry. Um, <laughs> they, they only sell these in December, and you can only buy them at Trader Joe's. Um, so how you're wondering, do I have some in end of January? We stock up. <laughs> I mean, we fill our, our freezer with these. All right, powder. <laughs> We fill our freezer with these things. And we don't, we don't buy a ton of junk food. Um, but it's not really us, especially not, you know, cookies that, that come in a box. Um, but these things, we, we do. And here's, here's how it typically goes. Here, you guys can just pass these down. You can look under there. And let me just, can I just say, when I pulled these out of the freezer this morning, <laughs> they are that good. They are that good. That deserves the rest yeah. of the I think, okay, all right, all right, all right. But you got to stay there. Both, all of you do. You don't even want any. You should feel honored because um, this was actually the second to last box in the freezer. Um, so I actually resent the fact that I've shared most of that box with you. Um, but so here's, here's how it happens, okay? We're talking about lies. Sorry for the distraction. Um, here's, here's how it goes, though. I'm, I'm sitting on my couch watching a movie, box of cookies within reach, Okay, that's, that's the scary part right there. Um, and, and let me just say, okay, right here on the side of the box, new serving size two, which is like some cruel practical joke, right? That they actually put that on two cookies? Are you kidding me? Nobody eats two of these. And so I eat my, my first two, right? Uh, and then uh, that's when the lies start happening. You know, like, well, they're all natural. I mean, it says right on the box. Um, <laughs> I've been good this week. I'm relaxing. It's a special occasion. Nobody's, nobody's going to know. I'll, I'll make up for it. It's all going to be just fine and on and on and on until like, you know, 
14 cookies later. <laughs> you think I'm exaggerating. That's, <laughs> it's pretty gross, actually, when it, when it starts happening. Uh, but those are the lies that I love, okay? Uh, the lies that, that give me what I want, or at least what I think I want. The lies that affirm the way I feel and, and satisfy my desires. Those lies we can't get enough of. Yeah, but, I mean, who really cares, right? So what, Nathan? You like to eat a disgusting amount of cookies from time to time. Big deal. Don't judge me, all right? But you do know we're not talking about cookies, right? Right? I mean, come on. It's not the cookies that's the problem. It's how quickly I believe the lies. It's it's how much I I love to be lied to and how quickly I say, well, sure, that's got to be true. Demosthenes, the Greek philosopher who lived about 400 years before Christ, he said, nothing is so easy as to deceive oneself. For what we wish, we readily believe. Especially when it comes to our sinful longings. You see, sin is a liar, and our hearts love to be lied to. Are we talking about sin again? Seriously, I mean, anybody else just like a little bit tired of it? It's kind of hard. It's, you know, maybe, maybe you don't even like that, that term or that concept, right? You don't, you don't really believe in sin. Or you think the word is just, it's just outdated. It's like, you know, why, why, do we have to, why do we have to go there? And yet, I mean, be honest, we all have a code of moral right and wrong, don't we? Every one of us. It doesn't matter your background, your situation. Every one of us has things that we call sins in our lives. And in no other area are we okay with being lied to. We hate it everywhere else. So even if you're not a Christian or you're just not in the mood to think about sin, you've at least got to be wondering, I mean, what's the lie? Right? If, I, if I am being lied to, what is it? Because like this ancient church, okay, the one that we've been talking about as we've, we've studied uh, Hebrews these last few weeks together, like them, we are at risk of drifting. You see, these people, right, 2,000 years ago, they were living in this time between, okay? Jesus had, had come, they'd given them all these promises that Jesus is going to make everything right, okay? And they believed those promises, but they weren't there yet. It hadn't happened. And the longer they wait, the more restless they become. And, you know, we've been waiting like 2,000 years, right? And those are the moments where it becomes so much easier to drift, right? In this, this wilderness, so to speak, this, this land in between, our hearts begin to play tricks on us. And our hearts love to be lied to. Because sin is a liar. And your heart loves to be lied to. Now, let me just clarify here for a second, because when we use the word heart, we typically refer to our emotions, right? The center of our emotions. Um, But when the Bible talks about the heart, right? In the the Hebrew world or the Greek world, they're talking about all of you. They use it in a very different way. So yeah, it includes your emotions, but it also includes your your desires and your your trust, your commitments. It's, It's like it's the very center of your will, It's the core of who you are. And according to Hebrews, your heart is at risk. Mine too. 
I mean, I've made it pretty clear, I think, how much I just love the phrase, follow your heart, right? It's like the worst thing ever that you could possibly say to another person. Uh, This is the exact opposite of that because my heart is the worst. My heart wants to eat the whole box of cookies. And not just tonight, like every night. And, and my, my heart believes lies about money and sex and family and, and work and the things that I, I deserve, right, and my time and, and all these other. My heart loves to be lied to, and so does yours. So this morning, we're going to ask three questions as we wrestle through this. This is a difficult topic for, for all of us. Three questions. What's the big lie? What's the big deal? And what's the way through? One counselor writes, uncovering the lies you tell yourself And defeating them with the truth is the only real hope you have for a healthy life here and for eternal life in the hereafter. So first, what's the big lie? Okay, now we we heard the text read, right? Big, long, all of chapter 3 text. There's a lot there. Uh, But sometimes it's easier to sort of focus in as we begin on kind of the core, right? What's the big idea in that chapter that the author is getting to? I think it comes in verses 12 through 14. So let me begin by reading, reading there for us. Take care, brothers and sisters. Again, Hebrews 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Remember, he's preaching in a church setting, right, the, as he says these words. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a liar. So what lie is it telling? Well, if we were to look back in the previous verses, beginning in in verse 7, the author quotes Psalm 95. It's part of the video that we watched a little bit earlier, this beautiful psalm. Let me read a little bit of it here. And actually, it's important to even note how it begins. He says, verse 7, the Holy Spirit says. Okay, it's a small thing, uh, but for the author of Hebrews, when this book speaks, he believes that it's it's God who's speaking. Okay, it's a small thing, but worth, worth noting here. And then here's the quote. From Psalm 95. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers, your, you know, your forefathers, your descendants, put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, I don't know. Sounds important, I guess, right? So what's, what's going on here? Well, this psalm is about a couple of stories uh, back in the Old Testament. Exodus 17 and, and Numbers 14. So I know this is where it's confusing, all right? So we read Hebrews 3, which is quoting Psalm 95, which is making allusions to these two other stories, okay? So you've got to kind of follow what the author's doing here, um, But these stories are about God's people, the Israelites, having just left Egypt, having been set free from from their their slavery. I mean, okay, so they were were slaves in Egypt, um, oppressed terribly by the Egyptians, and God sent Moses, he sent the plagues, he sent the Passover, and, and the people actually 
left Egypt crossing through the Red Sea on dry land, right? I mean, it's an amazing story. These people saw the miraculous hand of God in, in ways that, I mean, let's be honest, you and I just dream about seeing. But they saw all of it. And then they start whining. Parents, you know how much you hate it when your children start whining? And it's not just the noise, but let's be honest. I mean, it's got to be the worst sound another human can possibly make. It's not just that. It's the fact that, I mean, you know, you do everything for these kids, right? You love them. You, you, you would do anything you possibly could to, to give them a happy and good and secure life. And they're like, you don't really love me. And that's really what they're saying, right, when they're whining. You don't really care about me. And so think about how much you hate it. And then think about how much God must hate it when his children start whining and complaining about him. Because all, all of a sudden, his people, they, their, their memory gets, like, selective. Okay? And so all they remember about life back in Egypt was three meals a day, plenty of water, and a, and a warm bed. They forgot about the whips, the beatings. They, they forgot about the incredible oppression, the fact that they, they didn't get a day off, they had to work long hours, that they weren't their own people. They forgot about the genocide, right? That they were killing off their little babies. Ah, oh, Egypt. Ah, oh, those were the good old days. I mean, are we talking about the same Egypt? You see, they'd begun to believe the lies. They'd walked across on dry land, and now they weren't sure if God was going to care about them enough to stick around with them. I mean, that's their, their big complaint. Is God really with us? Ah, oh, he's left us. He doesn't care about us. I mean, seriously, we'd be better off in Egypt. Because, because if he loved us, if he really wanted what was best for us and had the power to do it, then we wouldn't be in this wilderness mess. The lies had crept in. And they begged to be slaves again. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the very first lie, the first temptation, the first sin. This is my, uh, my favorite children's Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's so good. And I love the way the, the writer portrays this, this first lie, this first temptation. Let me read what she writes. It says, As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat that nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Just trust me. The serpent whispered, you don't need God, one small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. And so Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. And every sin, every temptation, it doesn't really matter that much what it is, I guess. But everyone tells the exact same lie. What's the big lie? God doesn't care about me. So I've got to take care of myself. 
God's not concerned for my well-being. I've got to go out and find my own happiness in every sin, every temptation, whatever it is. All comes back down to that lie. I mean, if God really loved me, then, you know, he would be okay with that relationship because we love each other. I mean, if God, if God really loved me, then he'd, he would know how important it is for me to have a big house and drive a nice car, and he wouldn't ask me to be generous. If God really knew what it was like to be married to him, then certainly he'd let me out of my marriage, wouldn't he? If God, if God knew, if he cared, if, if he loved me, all lies. But our hearts love to be lied to, especially when the lies tell us what we want to hear. And again, I, I realize that we all come from different backgrounds, situations, all of that, and we may not agree on what qualifies as a sin, okay? I mean, it's pretty hard to, to let this book tell you what is and isn't allowed, permissible. I get it. And yet I am guessing that every one of us here, young and old, we know what it's like to tell the lie. You know what it's like to lie to yourself to get what you want. We've all done that. I mean, can we, can we at least agree on that if we can't agree on the other things? Can we, can we start there? I mean, do you at least know the lies that you're telling? Because you might not actually say the words. I mean, most of us probably wouldn't actually say the words, God doesn't care about me, he doesn't love me, right? So I've got to go take care of myself. We probably wouldn't actually say that, but it comes out in a thousand different ways, doesn't it? But it's all the same. Lies like, you can't live without it. It's not a big deal. I'm not as bad as them. Just a little bit more. You deserve it. You need it. You can't be happy without it. You'll be happier with it. Or, or, or we say things like, you know, just a little bit longer. Just one last time. Or when I, when I get older, I'll take care of it. Or it's not, it's not really a problem. I'm, I'm in control. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm good enough already. Or I can't possibly be good enough, so why even bother? Sin is a liar. Frankly, it's a really, really good liar. But do you at least recognize the lies that you're telling? I mean, there, there are times in my own life situations where I, in moments of temptation, where I have to actually sort of talk to myself. I don't think it often happens like out loud verbally, although occasionally I've, I've been known. Uh, most of it's just that inner dialogue in my mind where in the moment of temptation to say to myself, Nathan, that thing, it's not going to make you happy. Well, yeah, it is. That's why I want it so bad. What do you know? No, no, you, you know it's not going to make you happy. You, you know that. God says it's not going to make you happy. So who are you going to believe, Nathan? those moments. And, and really, here's why it's such a big deal. I mean, sin isn't just bad. It's not just a lie. But I mean, you know, don't forget how much in any other situation you hate to be lied to. Don't, don't put that aside. But it's not just that. It gets, it's worse. Because when you believe the lie, you're actually disbelieving God. That's the real sin behind the sin. And really, that's what the author is getting at by this. Look again at verse 7 there at the end. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
And basically, don't, don't lie to yourself. If you lie to yourself often enough, you're going to end up believing it. Don't harden your hearts. Or, or in verse 12, it says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or again, verse 13, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If with every sin, okay, if with every sin, even if you don't realize it, even if you don't think you're doing it, if every sin you're telling yourself the lie that God doesn't care about me, the sin itself may seem pretty insignificant. It's just not that big of a deal. But the lie isn't. And eventually, you're going to end up believing that lie. Nah, God doesn't care about me. Not a bit. Because sin makes our hearts hard. And the more we choose not to believe God, even when it seems absolutely harmless, the harder we become. And we can make our hearts so hard that belief can't even possibly get in. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, for example, um, I mean, I say this often, right? I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we want to be a place that you can journey and explore with us, ask good questions, all of that. And I, and I hope you hear this with, with all respect, because I, I do respect you deeply. Um, I know that there are, are difficulties to belief and to entering into this pathway. I, I get all that. Um, but you've got to ask yourself, could you believe if you wanted to? Or have you kind of already made up your mind? Because that's, that's kind of the idea here. I mean, be honest. For some of you, not all, not all of you who, who don't believe, but for, for some of you, no amount of evidence could convince you. I mean, if you're honest, right? Your, your heart is just, it's just too hard. Because you know that if you did believe that things would have to change, right? All of a sudden, you'd be accountable to somebody else. And who wants to change? Could you even believe if you wanted to? Another example of this. We all know, um, we've got a lot of kids in here, um, so I hope you hear this as well, kids. We all know that some kids, when they, they grow up in church and they head off to college, some of them lose their faith, right? We know that. It breaks our hearts, but that's, that's part of the reality. Um, I, I know of, of one pastor who um, handles it kind of a unique way, okay? And so I want to sort of mention it, because I think it gets at sort of what we're talking about here. But what he'll often do when, he, when he's spending time with a student who's gone down that path, okay, um, you know, back on Christmas break or, or summer or whatever, and begin talking about life and all these things. And, and whether it's a world religions class or philosophy or whatever, eventually that, that kid says something like, you know, I'm really beginning to, to wrestle with some serious doubts in my faith. Do you know how this pastor responds? Um, I mean, only if the setting's right. He's got a relationship and trust built up there among that kid. But more often than not, his follow-up question is, so who are you sleeping with? Seems like a jump, doesn't it? I'm, I'm not exactly advocating this, okay? Uh, but the idea that he's getting at there, and not, frankly, I don't even know if he actually does this. He says he does. Uh, you know, pastors, we're not always the most honest. Um, <laughs> hopefully we are. Um, but he, he does this, and he, it's, it's, to me, it, just, it illustrates this, this point that, I mean, all of us doubt, right? Every one of us doubt. We all struggle with doubt. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, whether you're a Christian or not. We all deal with doubt. So doubt, doubt's not really the issue most often when we leave our faith. It's that sin is really deceitful, and it grabs onto us. 
And it wiggles its way into our hearts, and slowly our hearts become harder, and faith just sort of gets squeezed out. And it's gone. And it's not just kids going off to college. And let me just pause for a second and say, students, um, when you head off to college or move out or, or whatever that looks like for you, most likely there's going to be some challenge there. Um, you're going to have to figure a whole lot out. Um, but I want to I say this, and I want all of you to hear me loud and clear, okay? Students, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what mistakes you make, and some of them are going to be big for some of you, no matter what mistake you make, no matter what doubts you have, we're family. This is home, and we will never reject you. No, no matter what you wrestle with, deal with, what burdens you come back with, you, you're family, and we love you, and we will pursue you, and we will do anything for you. I hope, I hope you hear that, kids. Um, mean that as a church. But this isn't just a teenager problem. It's not just a kid problem. This is a human problem for any of us. I mean, sitting here, looking as Christian as can be, do you hear the warning this author makes? That affair... That addiction, that area in which you just keep sort of flirting with, with temptation, that, that growing area of selfishness in your life or mine or, or self-sufficiency, unchecked, your sin will harden you. And you'll begin to believe the lie. And you will quite possibly fall away from the living God. That's, that's what he says. And basically, verse 14 says it, right? That you're... You're only really a Christian if your faith holds out. Will it? We treat, I treat my sin so casually. But every sin is a lie. And so do you know where those lies are taking you? I mean, for the Israelites, back in that story that the preacher is talking about, uh, them out in the wilderness, right? They, they grumbled against God so much that they actually refused to enter the promised land. They get right to the edge of it. They send all these spies, and they see that it's amazing. And they say, you know, I think we'd rather be slaves. Well, that can be arranged, says God. And they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the complainers are finally dead before they get to enter into the promised land. And the author of Hebrews, this ancient preacher, he's telling this story here in this text for that ancient church and for us to say, hey, drifters, don't make the same mistake. Don't do it. Sin is a liar. And my heart, your heart, loves to be lied to. But you already knew that, didn't you? Of course you did. I mean, that's why sin so often just disappoints us over and over again. I mean, it promises us happiness, doesn't it? And it, it delivers for a while. It, it does. That's why we keep going back to it, and, and, and we, we enjoy it, and then all of a sudden, it just doesn't anymore. And, and then we're in a spot where we have to figure out, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing that's going to fill me up, that, that's going to make me con- convinced that life is, is worth living? I mean, I know that cycle so well in my own life and heart. How, how quickly. I'm just looking for the next thing. You know, the next day off, the next great meal, the next raise, the next compliment, next achievement, whatever it is. 
And then when I finally get to that thing, it's sort of like, well, I meant the next one. And, well, maybe one more. Because we're always searching. I'm sick of it. And maybe you are too. So what's the way through the lies? How do we fight the lies that we keep telling ourselves? Well, our, our verses here include three commands. And they're pretty simple. I don't want to spend a ton of time here. Um, but I think they're an important reminder for each of us. How, how do we fight against this? Well, the author gives us three things. First, he says, keep watch. Keep watch. Verse 12, take care, or literally, uh, watch, look, keep an eye on. That's kind of the idea there. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And we, we've talked about this one as, as we've gone, right? That, that we need to know the lies that we're telling and believing um, and know where those lies are taking us. And for many of us, it just begins by knowing that this is our, this is our nature. This is what we do. We tell these lies and then we grab onto them. And we squeeze out all the joy and happiness that we can possibly get until we move on to something else, a new lie. And once you begin to recognize that, I mean, I mean think about... We all have that friend or coworker who just can't ever seem to tell the truth. Once we begin to realize that this is, this is what our heart so often does, we'll begin to trust it about as much as we trust those coworkers, those people in our lives. And that's a, that's a good thing. We should always be asking good questions of our hearts to know whether or not we're, we're following a lie or following this God that we long to serve. Uh, maybe a little homework for each of us. Take a moment this week, um, maybe after the service, maybe even now in the next few minutes, just to think through what, what are your biggest temptations? Uh, the things that, that pull at you from various directions, relationship or um, money or wh- whatever it is. And then ask yourself, what's the lie behind this? Because I think as Christians, we tend to like to focus on our sins, right? Don't do this, don't do that, try harder, be better, whatever. Um, and we forget that sins are really just the symptoms. The disease is what lives here. It's, it's the lies that we keep telling ourselves. So, so ask yourself, take inventory and say, what, what are those lies behind, behind my, my temptation? Second, encourage each other. Um, this is in verse 13. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Each day, for as long as it is called today, which is the idea, as long as we struggle with this, all right, as long as we continue to be prone with, to, to believe these lies, as long as this life continues, encourage each other. And you see the urgency here. I mean, this is, this is life or, or death for the, the person speaking these, these words to us. And truthfully, I'm not sure I've ever met somebody who obeys that command. Really? Every day, that's kind of a lot, isn't it? And I don't want to minimize what he calls us to, and I think those words are true. Every day we should find ways to do this, but maybe for some of us, just start small. Find somebody to encourage. Maybe a couple of somebodies. Maybe, maybe somebody popped into your mind already that you, you know they just they need a little bit of a, of a boost, and you, you can give it. Write their, write their name down and Get in touch with them this week. Maybe it's somebody in your community group, right? Um, many of us have just kind of launched into a new season of, of community groups, and many of us are with people we've just met, right, this past week in our, in our group and trying to figure out how all that, that is. Maybe, maybe there's somebody there. 
Maybe just consider sending a note to somebody. Hey, I'm praying for you. Or, or if you have a relationship with them, call them and, and just ask how they're doing or follow up on a prayer request. Offer to help. Maybe, maybe just tell them in a, you know, like non-creepy way uh, that you're really looking forward to getting to know them over the next few weeks. Um, again, you know, non, non-creepy. Um, but the reality is when, when we're stuck in a self-lie, we're the last person to see it, you know, for ourselves. Because that's, that's the cycle, right? We're lying to ourselves and we're believing the lies and so we're just kind of in this continual thing. We, we need others to be able to look and say, hey, I don't think you're being honest with yourself here. And, and we can so often, you know you can, right? You can spot it in your friends in, in a second sometimes to be able to lovingly, graciously speak into those people's lives and to have them speak into ours. Our lives depend on it. We, we fight against the lies by reminding each other of the truth. I mean, your, your friends' lives, your family, people sitting around you, Look at them. Their life, their soul is counting on you. And kids, you too. We're, we're all a part of this together. And our lack of obedience to this simple command ends with people falling away from the living God. So no pressure. And third, third, consider Jesus. The best way to combat the lies is to pursue the truth, hands down. I mean, that's, that's how chapter 3 began, didn't it? We didn't spend a lot of time there. We kind of had to move through. But basically, the author there, he begins focusing again on Jesus as better than Moses, better than anything that we could possibly uh, wrap our minds around, that he is the one who saves us. You can't do better than Jesus. And look what it says in verse 1, chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling. Okay, it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but he's, just, he's talking to all the believers. Everybody who's a Christian. Therefore, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. You know, I can still remember, um, actually pretty clearly, one of the first times I realized um, in my life, the liar that sin is and the gullible fool that my heart can be. Um, I was 18. I'm sure there were times before that, but 18 is, is, was such a clear uh, memory for me in, in, in my life. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd grown up in church. In fact, I was, I was always the good kid, which for me really meant that I was a good liar and very excellent at hiding from people. I mean, hiding who I really was. My faith was not, not a part of, of my life. Um, I was 18, again, and uh, I'd recently had a falling out with, with several of my closest friends. So I, was, I was lonely. We had just started attending Christ Community, uh, and I was, I was curious. And I, I don't even really know how it happened. I mean, I couldn't even really exactly tell you what happened. I can just sort of kind of paint a picture of, of this experience. But I can, I can picture it was in the fall of that year. Uh, I was in my parents' basement. I still, I still lived at home. And it was almost as if God spoke to me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear any voices or anything like that. But it was almost as if he said, Nathan, you are such a liar. What? I mean, it, was almost, it was almost that clear. And because I had over and over, all throughout that time, because I... I Again, I grew up in church. I, I knew the right answers, but I had told myself over and over and over again the lie that, you know, when I grow up, that's when I'll consider Jesus. You know, when I grow up, maybe I'll even, maybe I'll even take him seriously. But, you know, when I grow up. No, you won't. 
Or, or at least, I mean, Nathan, who's to say you will? You're believing the lie. And with every lie, your heart gets harder. Besides, Nathan, you're 18. I mean, how grown up are you supposed to be? And how many regrets do you want to avoid? Why not try Jesus for a little while? Okay. That, that's my story, honestly. It was just kind of like that. All right, well, let's give it a shot. That was 16 years ago. And even though I continue to battle with some of the lies, some of the same lies that I struggled with then, and even though there are lies, I'm sure, in my life that I don't even know exist, right? Because I'm just sort of believing them, sucked into their power. But one thing I have learned in those 16 years is that the more I consider this, this Jesus, the more I get to know the truth of, of who he is and his love for us, the lies just kind of lose some of their power along the way. Because the author says, he says, consider Jesus, right? And, and if you remember what the lie is, the big lie is that God doesn't care. God's distant. He can't, he can't provide for you. He can't, he can't possibly give you what you truly need to have a satisfying, meaningful life. He couldn't do it, so you've got to do it yourself. That's the lie. Consider Jesus. God's distant. He came near. He, he became a man. Entered into this, this world of earth, right? He doesn't, he doesn't love you doesn't care about you. He died for you. There's no better way to show your your deep compassion and love for another person than to give your life. And Jesus gave everything for you so that he could know you and love you. Yeah, but he doesn't know what's best, right? He doesn't have the power to to bring it about even even if he did. I mean, he rose again from the dead. And he did that so that he could offer you the life you long to live. A life that begins now. It's not a life that we just sort of wait for. We put off to eternity and and hope that we die soon or something so we can get there. It's a life that begins now. Consider Jesus. Forgiveness for our failures. Power that we can actually overcome these lies. Hope that they will not have the last word. Every lie that sin tells runs scared in the face of Jesus. So who you believe? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would forgive me and that you would continue to reveal to me the areas in which My heart is hard, and I'm believing the lies. God, I pray that you would convict us, that you'd challenge us, help us to see that you offer us a better way to live, that that your rules, so to speak, or even this idea of sin, it's not not a tool to kind of keep us in or to uh, defeat our own ability to express ourselves or to enjoy life, but to, to give us instead the fullest of life that you know the best way for us to live. God, I pray that we would enter into that. God, for those who are here who don't, who don't believe a word of this, God, I pray that they would feel loved by us, your church, and that they would feel loved by you. 
even in ways that, that we can't possibly explain. And together, help us to pursue the life that you call us to through your son, Jesus, our redeemer, the one who gave his life so that we could live, in whose name we pray. Amen.